This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, everybody. I'm John Donvan. And if you've been watching the financial markets at all lately, you know we've just been through another one of these wild up and down cryptocurrency rides. Given that, we thought it was appropriate to bring back a debate we did a while ago that is now proving really timely. So let's just get to it. Up and down Bitcoin goes, and where it ends up, well, if you do know that, would you mind sharing with the rest of the class? Um, Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency, has been called a bubble, a fad, a scam, a tool for terrorists and crooks that is doomed to disappear. And yet, some fiercely smart people believe in Bitcoin, believe in it because they say it takes vision to see how this first-of-a-kind digital currency will thrive and soar once everybody else recognizes its utility, that it will liberate us from the corrupting influence of central bank meddling in currencies like the U.S. dollar itself and from a system where the middleman is always taking his cut. Bitcoin, they say, is the solution and just getting started wild price swings notwithstanding. So which is it? Well, to us, this sounds like the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Bitcoin is more than a bubble and is here to stay. I'm John Donvan. I stand between two teams of two experts in this topic who will argue for and against that motion. As always, our debate will go in three rounds. And then our audience here at the Adam Smith Society's 2018 National Meeting in New York will choose the winner. And if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Our motion is Bitcoin is more than a bubble and is here to stay. Let's meet our debaters first on the team arguing for the motion. Please welcome Patrick Byrne. Patrick, you are CEO and co-founder of Overstock.com, which was the first major retailer to accept Bitcoin as a payment method. You're also CEO of T0. That's an ICO trading platform that you founded. Wired Magazine has called you the Messiah of Bitcoin. You have also been called the Scourge of Wall Street. <laughs> Messiah and Scourge, do you embrace these terms, this strong language? I'm reminded of a line of Oscar Wilde's when a play opened at the Abbey Theater got this rousing ovation, and one man stood up and said, you're a fraud. And Wilde stood up and said, frankly, sir, I'm inclined to uh, think you're right. But in the face of so much acclaim, who are we to disagree? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Patrick Byrne. And your partner here today is Tim Draper. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Draper. Tim, welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. You're a venture capitalist. You're the founder of Draper Associates and DFJ and Draper University. You were an early investor in companies some people may have heard of, Tesla, Hotmail, Skype. How does Bitcoin compare? Oh, this is bigger than all of those combined. This is bigger than the Iron Age, the Renaissance. It's bigger than the Industrial <laughs> Revolution. This affects the entire world and it's going to be affected in a faster and more prevalent way than you ever imagined. I wish we knew what you really thought. <laughs> Thank you, Tim Draper. And again, the team arguing for the motion. And with the motion, Bitcoin is more than a bubble. And here to stay, we have two great debaters arguing against. Please first welcome Eric Posner. Eric, you're an Intelligence Squared veteran. Welcome back. You're a professor at the University of Chicago. You are one of the most cited legal scholars in the United States, author of a lot of books, including Radical Markets, Uprooting Capitalism and Democracy for a Just Society. In a sentence, what is a radical market? Well, a radical market is a market that is designed so as to promote both welfare and equality. And many of our markets need to be improved. And this book suggests various ways that that can be done. You know, with the punctuation you used, that actually was one sentence. <laughs> yeah, well well done. Thank you, Eric that. Posner. And your partner right here, also a returning debater to Intelligence Squared, Jillian Tett. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared. 
Uh, Jillian, you're a best-selling author. You're an award-winning journalist. You're the U.S. managing editor of the Financial Times, where you oversee global coverage of the financial markets. At an Intelligence Squared debate back in January, in which we were debating the nation's economic outlook, you happened to mention that your 14-year-old daughter had friends who were buying Bitcoin. Would those friends vote against you if they were here for this debate? <laughs> well, if anybody here in the room has got a teenager in their lives, you know two things. If an adult said the sky is blue, they will say it's red. And secondly, you do not ask a teenager for advice about anything, let alone your investment portfolio. <laughs> so I am sure that whatever I say, they will say the opposite. Well, I get that. Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing against the motion. Thank you to all of you. And so we move on to round one. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for the motion, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay. Here is Tim Draper, venture capitalist and founder of Draper Associates and DFJ. Tim Draper. This is the perfect audience, a bunch of millennials. This is all going to be in your hands. What happens to the world? You have a major opportunity right now. All of a sudden, this amazing thing happened. Satoshi Nakamoto came up with a new kind of currency. And now, let me take you through a history of currencies. Uh, we used to use shells, and we'd carry around shells, but then they got too bulky. And then we moved to gold, and then gold got too bulky, and we kind of ran out of it, and then it was the promise of gold. And then it was like the full faith and credit of the US government. It's just paper. There was a huge debate, much like this, about should we go off the gold standard? And, and people said, no, it's just paper. We can't do that. We have to be on the gold standard because gold is really what this country is built on. And then it got further abstracted. Currency, what did currency become? And all of a sudden, there's this currency. It's awesome. We have, like, a Federal Reserve note. You are relying on a third party to hold your currency, right? You rely on a bank. Look at the biggest buildings in the world. They're all banks. That's your money that's gone into their buildings. So now you've got this new currency, and your trusted third party is 100,000 computers that are all focused on making sure that every single transaction is done perfectly. And it's virtual, and it's something that transcends geographic borders. So you don't have to be reliant on your country. I had this great guy, Sebastian Serrano, and he said, I lived in Argentina all my life. My family fortune disappeared three times to currency manipulation. And I'm only 30 years old. You know, as you know, the Argentinian peso has dropped 30% a year. Sebastian said, I'm going to start this business, and I'm going to build it all on Bitcoin. And he did, and it's an enormous success. He has since created a new currency called Ripio, and it's one of the top cryptocurrencies of the world. The whole premise of is it a bubble is ridiculous, because our last bubble, what was that? The internet bubble. Was that a bubble? You guys still use the internet. I see some of you actually using it right now. <laughs> that was no bubble. That was an amazing transformation of our world. It affected many different industries. It affected information, communications, gaming, taxis. All sorts of things were affected by the internet. So now we've got another currency that has the ability to change enormous industries. It can change banking, insurance, real estate, and government itself. Tim, I'm sorry, time? your time is up. Thank so, you very much. So I, I want you to I want to make sure that you vote, no bubble, or whatever. <laughs> I, <laughs> Thank you, Tim Draper. Well, our next debater is going to make that argument. The motion is Bitcoin is more than a bubble and is here to stay, here to argue against that motion. Law professor at the University of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Posner. Thanks very much. I'm going to start with a quotation. It's from The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. When the profits of trade happen to be greater than ordinary, overtrading becomes a general error. He was talking about the Great South Sea Bubble of 1711 to 1720, kind of a speculative mania in the stock of a company that was supposed to invest in South America. Destroyed many fortunes, 
damaged the British economy significantly and continued to reverberate through the rest of the 18th century uh, when Smith was writing The Wealth of Nations. Many people are skeptical despite the long historical record of bubbles culminating in the most recent bubble in your lifetime, the real estate bubble of the early 2000s, which led to the financial crisis and the Great Recession. A bubble occurs when the price of an asset deviates from its underlying value, and the deviation is maintained for a significant amount of time. And the question is, why does this occur? Isn't the market price supposed to reflect the actual value? Usually there's some kind of new technology. That's what happened in 1711. People get excited. The early movers make big profits. Everybody else sees this, and they think, well, that's easy. They just bought this thing. We can do the same. The price spikes. Now, the price can go up in an asset just because that asset is very useful. And so we have this pattern already of the prices of Bitcoin going up and then down a little bit. And the question is, does that reflect the bubble mentality, the speculative mania, or something real? The very elements of Bitcoin that its supporters cite is also the greatest vulnerability. Anonymity. Bitcoin transactions are anonymous, or more accurately, pseudonymous. People use codes that are difficult to trace back to them. The people for whom this is most attractive is criminals. Bitcoins are very good for money launderers, drug criminals, human traffickers. Bitcoin is only anonymous for very sophisticated people, sophisticated criminals especially. And as a result, ordinary people have come to rely on intermediary institutions, a bit like banks, wallet companies, for example, exchanges. And you don't get anonymity with those companies. Second feature, the fixed money supply. There can never be more than 21 million Bitcoins because of the way that the program was designed. This is said to be good because national currencies sometimes are subject to inflation, Fixed money supply leads to deflation, which is just as bad as inflation. People will hoard the currency, as they are with Bitcoin, because they believe that they'll be able to buy more goods and services in the future. A currency that is not used is dysfunctional. The government's control of the money supply is absolutely essential for addressing financial crises like the one we lived through in 2008 and addressing recessions like the one we lived through in the years after the financial crisis. If the money supply is truly fixed, the government is helpless. Back when the United States was on the gold standard in the 19th century, there was an endless cycle of speculative manias, crashes, far worse than anything we've experienced since the Great Depression. And it's connected to the third element of Bitcoin that its supporters cite, which is the decentralization. The idea that nobody controls it, and so we don't have to worry about manipulation. Okay, now that is false. But it is controlled by the so-called miners, the people who create Bitcoins as a part of the uh, transaction confirmation function that they serve in this currency network. When the Bitcoin protocol needs to be changed, and that has happened several times, it's the Bitcoin miners, the people with 51% of the computing power, who determine that. Who are they? We don't know. Probably a lot of foreigners, possibly foreign governments. Bitcoin is a bubble. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Eric Posner. Is Bitcoin a bubble? In just a moment, we'll hear opening statements from the co-founder and CEO of Overstock.com and from the U.S. Managing Editor of the Financial Times. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay. You've heard the first two opening statements and now on to the third to debate in support of the motion. Here is Patrick Byrne, CEO of Overstock.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Byrne. Bitcoin is more than a bubble. Here's why. First of all, for 6,000 years... We have this problem of trust. How do we solve trust? I'm trading you a camel for your gold coin. How do I trust that you debase the coin or not? The guy who has monopoly on violence in an area creates a mint, puts his face on the coin, says, if you debase this, I kill you. That's a business model, a way to monetize his monopoly on violence. That enables us to engage in our trade. So for 6,000 years, that's the way we've been going about solving things. 
we create these central institutions that since we can't trust each other, we just trust them. For the first time in 6,000 years, we can have consensual exchange among strangers. Humans have done by creating these institutions. And those institutions have accumulated like barnacles on the hull of civilization. Some of them are private corporations. Some of them are functions of government. But remember, they didn't come out of a burning bush. We created them so we can go about achieving our ends. It's now possible to achieve those functions without those institutions. It's much bigger than the internet. The internet disrupted publishing. I've been in a Silicon Valley company where there's 160 institutions on the wall. Everything from notary publics to Wall Street to many of the functions of lawyers and judges can all be reduced to smart contracts and such. So we will not have to rely on those central institutions nearly as much going forward. Some of the old timers here may remember the Soviet Union. And there was this country that tried to run itself, setting prices, 23 million prices sent by some bureaucrat in Moscow in a big ledger book. And we think that's ridiculous. See how silly these people were to try to run a society with them setting prices on 23 million things. What's the single most important price any society faces? It's the price at which we discount the future against the present, which is to say interest rates. And currently, that price is being sent in a central department of central planning called the United States Federal Reserve. My worthy opponent, Eric Posner, believes that we need government to manage that, to address the money supply, to manage the economy. People like this, when you hear that, remember the Dilbert strip, the pointy hair manager in the corner who always, he knows what's best, what could possibly go wrong. Every day he's got a different solution to something. And that is the mentality of the people who think that we need government to do all these things for us. They need to manage our money supply force. We have to communicate with each other information about value and scarcity. That's what a price is. It's a packet of information about value and scarcity. We want a form of money that we can communicate that information to each other without having to go through, through some field that any government Mandarin controls. Then we can really communicate the truth to each other. The Mandarins want to have their hands on the dial to be able to adjust that field and distort that signal to serve their own private political ends. That's why they're against Bitcoin. They don't want a form of money that Mandarins can't control. You know, we have seen in the last financial crisis, the oligarchs bought themselves some senators. They bought themselves congressmen. They bought themselves the esteemed regulators. One thing that they can't buy, the mathematics that underlies cryptography, which is why we should rebuild our social institutions on crypto, and in particular, Bitcoin. Thank you, Patrick Byrne. And our final debater against the motion, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and is here to stay, is Jillian Tett, best-selling author, U.S. managing editor of the Financial Times. Ladies and gentlemen, Jillian Tett. As an anthropologist, I can tell you three things about money. Societies all over the world have used all kinds of things to create money over history. There is nothing special about fiat currency. Fiat currency has problems, as you've heard. But the problems with fiat currency today are nothing compared to the problems with Bitcoin. Think about what money does. Because if you believe that Bitcoin is so valuable, you have to believe it's a fantastic type of money. So what does money do? It's one, a medium of exchange, two, a store of value, and sometimes three, an investment too. Bitcoin as a medium of exchange compared to fiat currency. It's a pretty lousy medium of exchange right now. You can't actually do very much with it. Yes, you can buy stuff on Hoverstock, and I'm giving you a free promotion, Patrick. Thank you. I work on commission. Um, but not in Bitcoin. <laughs> but right now, the system can only process seven transactions a second. That is nothing compared to the amount you actually need to make it a viable medium of exchange. It's slow, it's clunky, it's expensive. There ain't that many places you can actually use it. The other problem, of course, is its value has fluctuated dramatically. Trust underpins money. The roots of the word credit come from credere, meaning Latin to believe. So what underpins Bitcoin? It ain't trust in government, it's trust in computers. Those wonderful, reliable 100,000 computers that never break down, never get hacked. Are you guys all ready to trust 
in computers forever? As you've just heard before from Professor Posner, bubbles, manias come and go. Last but not least, you trust in the fact that the supply is limited. Well, yes, right now, those wonderful magicians of cryptography have created a system which has a limited supply of bitcoins. But what about Ethereum? Who actually believes that the first move of Bitcoin is going to be the only Bitcoin? I mean, remember a time when we all thought that Sonny Walkmans were the coolest thing out? I mean, you're probably too young for that. Why couldn't there be 20,000 more Bitcoins? In which case, what is that going to do to the value? Okay, maybe you think there are problems with government. They cannot be trusted. But what about this? There is actually something else out there which has been around for thousands of years that doesn't require actually betting on a computer, doesn't require betting that somehow the first innovation on Bitcoin is going to last. There is something out there which is completely portable. And let's not forget the fact that to create one Bitcoin requires the energy usage of the typical American household over two years. Last year, Bitcoin mining took up all the electricity consumption equivalent to Denmark. Next year, it will be Argentina. But there's something else out there that doesn't need that. It's called gold. So if you don't like fiat currency, go buy gold. Bitcoin, aka digital gold, is a pretty lousy alternative. And the great thing about gold is that if it all goes horribly wrong, you can always wear it, you can put it in your teeth. Thank you, Gillian Tett. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is Bitcoin is more than a bubble and is here to stay. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another directly, and they also take questions from me and from you, our audience here at the Adam Smith Society 2018 annual meeting. We have two teams debating this motion. The team arguing for the motion, Tim Draper and Patrick Byrne, they have made the case that Bitcoin represents a revolution, a major opportunity for anybody with the vision to get into it now. They say that Bitcoin is an antidote to a banking system that they describe as parasitic. It transcends borders. It is unleashed from government. If it's a bubble, then the internet itself was a bubble. They say currency requires a solution to the problem of trust. The team arguing against the motion, Eric Posner and Jillian Tett, they say, of course, it's a bubble, that Bitcoin's vulnerabilities are actually built into its design. That's where its demise is. For one thing, Bitcoin tends to attract unsavory characters, but that it is not really truly anonymous, defeating one of its main purposes because most people need to go through a middleman. Their opponents arguing that its fixed supply is a virtue, they say, is actually to its detriment. Fixed currency will lead to deflation and hoarding, and a currency that is not used is not successful as a currency. The government would be helpless. They challenge this question of trust, asking, do you really want to trust a system that depends on computers and upon decision makers whom you don't know? Because in the end, they say Bitcoin is something that can be influenced by humans. You just don't know who they're going to be. So there's a lot to unpack there. I want to go First, to this question of trust, where very quickly a disagreement has surfaced between the two of you. Patrick Byrne, you talked about the mathematics actually being the source of its security. We have an audience that may not understand what that means. And so can you just explain what you mean when you talk about the mathematics of Bitcoin and why that's central? There's a mathematics that underlies cryptography. Technically, it's called non-polynomial one-way trapdoor functions. Cryptography harnesses this area of mathematics to make things unbreakable so they can be encoded one way but not decoded. And that underlies all the cryptography of the modern era, from HTTPS to you logging onto your bank account to the math, the, what's under Bitcoin. It's the same general field of math. If somebody ever breaks this and there's talk about quantum computers and stuff, this should be quantum resistant, but it, it's the most hacked on thing in history. Bitcoin is, it's every day, more people hack on anything. If anyone can break this, they can break every government and bank encryption system in the world. Okay, thank you for performing that service. So your opponent, Jillian Ted, has said, are you crazy wanting to trust something that depends on the technology of computers because our computers break all the time, basically, is what she was saying, and they get hacked all the time. So take I mean, on that challenge. there have been hacks already with Bitcoin. Now, there are companies that spring up in the Bitcoin community that get hacked, these different exchanges that get hacked. Banks get hacked, too. And yeah, Bitcoin's used by unsavory characters. Last I checked, you know, they used U.S. dollars, too. Now, Jillian, you said that, oh, do you really want to trust computers? Computers are running all your banks. It's just those are weaker security systems than Bitcoin. I am so much more secure in my Bitcoin than I am in the money that's sitting there in Wells Fargo. 
But Tim, if you go into your bank, you're not only trusting your computer for the value of your money. You're trusting the computer, but you have a backup. And the backup is called a central bank. With Bitcoin, you are only trusting computers. Okay, you mentioned well, the hang central on just one bank. Second. I, go ahead, Tim. Central bank always gets it wrong. So when you're in recession, they shove you further into a recession. When you're in a boom, they push you higher in a boom because they move so slowly and they never react. And then they react too late and too strongly. They add more regulations when you've already got both hands tied behind your back and you're trying to feed your family. I agree with you. But there is a reason why the US Constitution is based on checks and balances. Having some faith in a central bank is not all your eggs in one basket. The problem with Bitcoin is you're betting entirely on the sanctity and the durability of those computers. You said There's earlier... There's no check and balance ne there. Neither of you have Bitcoin wallets. I heard that earlier, right? You probably shouldn't keep all your eggs in one basket. There is another basket And guess now. what? I have several currencies. <laughs> right, but they're all, right. all fiat. They're all fiat. Yes. Hang on, one other service that can be performed for people who may not be up with this terminology. Fiat currency. Eric, we haven't heard from you yet, so tell us what fiat currency is. <laughs> it comes from the Latin this word fiat. This is the Adam Smith crowd. Fiat, let it be done. Let it be. It's, a decree. Let it it's currency be. by it's decree. Just, it's just currency that the government creates, the central bank creates, and then it guarantees that it will retain its value. Just in response to Tim, every advanced, successful economy has had a central bank for the last several centuries. The economies have done quite well. The central banks have generally been pretty good at dealing are with recessions and financial crises. Are we satisfied with pretty crisis. good? Okay. Patrick Byrne, are you? Now, my other Adam Smith quote, the government of an exclusive company of merchants is perhaps the worst of all governments. And I'm quoting him because Despite what Jillian said, she was speaking loosely, Bitcoin is not entirely controlled by computers. It's controlled by the programmers and the miners. So the code that was created back in 2009, this uh, mythical person, Satoshi Nakatoma, he knew that he could not create a system that will work forever and that will never have any problems. And so the code provides for its own amendment by human beings. Those human beings are the company of merchants. They're the Bitcoin holders, they're the miners, and also they're the programmers, the people who are trusted by the miners and other people in the Bitcoin community to revise the program as necessary, as they have done several times. So what you're basically hearing is that the trust and the security, the anonymity, etc., a lot of the virtues that you cited actually aren't built into Bitcoin. I think that's false. I think it's that false. it's an open source project. It is collaboration among a lot of people creating this code. But that collaboration is all transparent, and the records are all transparent. A more trustworthy process, if there's any monkey business in the code, everybody can see it. It's a much more transparent process than the current political process. Transparent, but under the control of a small number of individuals. Do you, have to, do you need to concede Never. that point? Is that actually accurate? No, no well, it's complete. What I assume you mean by that is 51% of the hashing power is necessary to change the, uh, the code. And a small number of people possess that power. As of 2014, those people collectively were on the stage at a conference, I think in New York, just a small number of people who can act in concert if they want to. That's the central bank of Bitcoin. That's the Fed of Bitcoin. You know, you, it's and, good. And, you can, I, I'm glad Eric brought that up. And the, whole, and the holdings running, are very concentrated I'm, as no, a result. I'm glad, I'm glad Eric brought that up because he's spreading fear, which is sort of what you get from the news and whatever. Um, <laughs> any of us can set up a Bitcoin mining system, and there are hundreds of them. Anyone there who can get no money from you, yes. That anyone is going to have more than 50% control of this. It's spread out all over the place. And then you talked about criminal activity. They're catching everybody who's using Bitcoin because there's a perfect ledger. There's the blockchain. The U.S. Marshal's Office started by saying, you've got to make this illegal, and then they said, no, not so fast, because they are catching every single Bitcoin criminal. If you want to be a criminal, use fiat. Okay. It's so much easier. So, so your argument about the criminal use has just been refuted by your opponents in a very coherent and logical way. I'd like to hear your response to that. 25% of uh, people who use Bitcoin are criminals, according to a study that just came out a couple of days ago. The money laundering, $100 billion or more a year, most of it is Bitcoin. 
So Bitcoin is synonymous. This public ledger just has codes. It doesn't have your actual name. So a very sophisticated criminal can use those codes in a way as to maintain their anonymity. Ordinary people don't know what they're doing, can make mistakes, which makes it very easy for the government to track them down, as happened with the Silk Road Exchange. But the really smart people, well, you're the foreign government, not a smart guy. Have you read the book? It's unbelievable no, how smart that no, dude is. Not smart enough, but not as smart as the. Uh, not as there smart. Aren't, there aren't any smarter. Yeah, I think there be, are. And he uh, got busted, so don't even try it. But Jillian the Taylor. reason why people are buying Bitcoin, investing in it, it's not because they think it's going to be this incredible, useful thing for criminality per se. It's because they think it's either going to keep going up and up and up, or because it's going to become a mainstream currency that will be useful. And the question I still have is why on earth? Do we think that Bitcoin is going to become this incredibly widely used useful currency compared to all the other alternatives? Let's take to Patrick Burns to respond to that. The great adoption of Bitcoin, you look where it gets its spikes, it's in places like Crete and Greece and Venezuela as everything collapses. People want some place they can go and get rid of this fiat into Bitcoin. That's where the big spikes of Bitcoin Patrick, occur. Patrick, have you ever been in a war zone? Because I, I can tell you that Venezuela. I've been in war zones. I started off as a war reporter. If you're in a war zone, if you're in that kind of stress situation, you don't want to start fiddling around with a computer. You want to get a bag of gold or emeralds and sew them in your clothes and run. I hear what you're saying about the shortcomings of fiat government-backed currency. It ain't perfect, but it's probably the least bad system there is today. When it all melts down, you will be happy to have a robust alternative system that does not rely on any of these institutions our grandfathers came up with. The US dollar is not the only alternative out there. If you don't like what the Fed's doing, if you don't like Donald Trump, if you don't like the way that America's going, hedge your bets. Ever heard well, of New Zealand? You can also leave, which is what's happening. A lot of people are leaving this country. And in China, it's even worse. They are fleeing China. They're going to Japan, where Japan said, we take Bitcoin and it is a national currency here. All the best engineers in the world are working on Bitcoin, not on dollars. And they're going to make it better I, and better. In five years, you're going to try to go buy coffee with fiat currency, and they are going to laugh at you because you're not using crypto. In South Park, they describe Bitcoin as space cash, and they say its advantages you can. And that's supposed to be a good thing. You can beat, <laughs> you can beam it across the universe. Bitcoin is just Let like me gold. Tell you, if the government's collapsing, I don't want to be boomed across the but universe. It has all the advantages of gold, which I'm happy to hear that you admire. Plus one, you can beam it across the universe. Your argument is this kind of razor's edge argument that civilization will collapse enough that the central banks will cease to function, but not so much that the internet and the computer system will also stop functioning. It's got to be like right in between. Right? High five. This is Intelligence Squared US. I'm John Donvan. Is Bitcoin a bubble, or is it here to stay? Coming up, questions from the audience on the future of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. This episode of Intelligence Squared U.S. is presented in partnership with the Adam Smith Society, an expansive chapter-based network of MBA students, professionals, and business leaders who work to foster debate around the moral, social, and economic dimensions of capitalism. Launched in 2011 by the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, the goal of the Adam Smith Society is to provide a venue where members can engage in meaningful dialogue about free enterprise. They have created a forum in the U.S. and abroad to give future business leaders access to in-depth programs that explore and promote the market economy. They are also developing tools to advance thoughtful, balanced exchanges around the free market on campus. Now at 38 chapters strong and with a presence at elite business school campuses in major cities across the U.S. and abroad, the Adam Smith Society celebrates America's heritage of liberty and global prosperity and looks to future business leaders to carry on the tradition of promoting free markets forward. Visit their website, adamsmithsociety.com slash membership to join as a paid member for exclusive programming, networking opportunities, VIP events, and many other perks. That's adamsmithsociety.com. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay. Are we at a point in Bitcoin's development that regular people, it's dangerous for them to get involved? You know, you guys are very savvy investors, you're sophisticated, but would regular folks get burned and would their getting burned undermine the kind of acceptance you're looking for? I don't know what these guys are talking about. We're regular folk. 
I'm always a little embittered whenever I hear people say, oh, I know better than you do what you should do with your money. Like, if a government collapses, you can go into another country and just pull it down. So why can't you, you can, do that with gold? And, well, you can't, because you're stuck in just the countries that the U.S. is friendly with. And there are gold? fewer and fewer, by the way. I, I think that people should be aware <laughs> this is very risky. And anyone who's giving you advice that uh, go invest, maybe holding 5% of your assets in cryptocurrency may be prudent. I don't know, but you shouldn't be. I hear about people all the time who are sinking a whole bunch of their money into it, and it's way too risky to do that. Okay. I, I want to go to audience questions. I just want to point out that Tim Draper, believe it or not, from the Tim Draper we've seen here, has actually been quite modest about one thing, and that is, I think Bitcoin was at $300. You predicted it would reach $10,000, and the world scoffed. And you said in three years, and within three years, it kind of ticked right up to $10,000. Yeah, I was three weeks early. Must so. have been very satisfying. Must actually, no. It was just sort of like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, now what? <laughs> okay. 250000 is and your And now point. it's 250000 by 2022. Part of it is I sort of have seen these amazing transformations of the world. Two guys and a dog that started Hotmail, and all of a sudden, we are all communicating through web-based email for free. We all kind of go, oh, yeah, that's obvious. Of course, we can Skype each other. Oh, yeah, no so, problem. So to your opponents, it sounds like you're saying you, you lack the vision thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you're good with that. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you sign up for that. Okay. No, actually, I'll say differently. You said earlier, Tim, basically you had the internet boom and bust, but the internet's still here. But guess yeah. what? Pets.com... And they call that a bubble. Yeah, Tim, Pets.com is not still here. Oh, yeah. The Bitcoin well, is you, like Pets.com. Yeah, but one out of like 500 what? companies. However, there were Bitcoin... a lot of first startup internet darlings in 2000. Sure. People looked like a genius for a moment and they collapsed. Bitcoin is the Pets.com of the cryptocurrency world. Okay, well, I, I would argue that, Ouch. that Ouch. Uh, the value of Bitcoin is tied to the network and how big that network is. According to Metcalf's law, the power of a network is the number of nodes in that network, number of people, squared. And so Bitcoin already has an enormous lead. And it can evolve. So why does this theory and, exist? And new technologies will come up, but just as Microsoft added those technologies as they benefited from them, Bitcoin is doing that too. And they brought it so you're, in. You're just saying from, that Bitcoin like, is the MySpace of the cryptocurrency. Yeah. No, but Bitcoin can right. evolve. I, I do want to stop this because we need <laughs> to get to questions. Exactly. Sir. My name is Nick Lilovich of the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. In the blockchain world, a customer can be entirely responsible for the security of their transaction on purpose. Is it better for individuals to be entirely responsible for the security of their transactions? May Thank I? You to Patrick. I'm, as Milton Friedman would say, small L libertarian, you have to admit some degrees of paternalism. And in that case, no, you have to have... I think there have to be companies with wallets that perform the customer service so when grandma forgets her password, it cannot just be a pure, you're on your own system. So there, ha there have to be a ring of companies that build up, that attach to the system and provide that extra layer of service and trust. If Bitcoin ends up dominating currency, when you walk down the street in a small town and you look at the biggest buildings in the street, they're going to be owned by these big companies. They're the banks of the futures, which will act as intermediaries, and they'll skim off the profit. There'll be little storefronts that let you come in and use, and that's all they need to charge you for. Why not have a bank? Well, no, we can, I happen to have just been with the regulators in Washington the other day and talk, talking about what we're doing with Wall Street. You, you can eliminate the role of exchanges. You can have decentralized exchanges. That's not a healthy first step. I think that we ought to take an incrementalist approach. We, we want to replace the system incrementally. Question for this. My name is Noni. I'm from MIT Sloan. Let's say we played a long-term game. Bitcoin has significant uptake. What does a financial crisis look like at that point in time? What are the fail-safes we have in place for regulating the environment at that point in time? Yeah, please. On, on the first one, the Austrian answer is you don't get the financial crises. You use interest rates, no longer get set by pointy-haired Dilbert guy in the corner in the Federal Reserve who thinks he can fine-tune the U.S. business cycle. Interests become a way that the crowd can coordinate our preferences about time and interest and, and what's the real value of money and such with each other, and you have stable, steady growth. And the reason we have booms and busts is because we have that guy with his hand on the rear stat, subject to political pressure, who, when things get a little rocky, takes political pressure and floods the economy, QE1, QE2, QE3, whatever. And that's why we have these booms and busts. 
And if we switch to an economy that was gold-based or based on some form of money through which we can communicate that no Mandarin can distort, we get rid of the financial crises. That, that, that's simply not Eric true. Posner. So there were booms and busts long before there was government intervention. There were booms and busts under the gold standard in the 19th century. And financial crises banking. aren't caused by currency. They're caused by excessive lending against weak assets, bad assets, assets that people overvalue. They'll continue to exist Fracking. in an economy dominated by Bitcoin. And can I just add to that? There were boons and busts back in Mesopotamia. The reason why you have the phrase wiping the slates clean was because many thousand years ago, there'd be too much lending in Mesopotamia, they'd record it on the slates, they'd wipe the clay tablets clean every 7, 20, 50 years, and guess what? You go back to zero. Tim? I don't know. The booms and busts, they could continue or maybe not. But one thing's for sure, governments that are forced to compete with each other for you are going to do a lot better than the ones that think that they have a monopoly and they can do whatever they want. Right now, we have a government in the U.S. that's 51% of the GDP is government spending, and we're stuck with it. And they're deciding, for every person that's out there pulling a sled, there's one standing on the sleds telling him, you know, that he's got to keep one hand behind his back. Oh, just just, one, I, just the thought Swiss that you currency. brought up, the government's competing for you is an intriguing idea. Can you put it into 30 seconds, what you mean by that? Sure. This glass, the company that created this glass, had to compete with all the other companies that create these glasses. And to they those who them, can't see this, he's holding up his drinking glass. And they make... <laughs> They make them better and better and better, so and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, so that they provide a really good product or really good service. So any company out there that is alive today is doing what they can to compete for you, to try to get you to be a customer of theirs. Governments don't feel that way. Historically, they've thought, we control everything that we see, and we'll just tell you what the rules are, and we know better than you do what to do with your money, what to do, how to live your life, whatever. Now governments are going to do that at their own peril, because other governments are going to step up and say, hey, we, we can provide a better health care program here. Hey, we can provide a better pension system than, these, than your government and does. And how does Bitcoin... Those things can be completely separate. Well, Bitcoin is a natural for this free market in the world because Bitcoin is cross-border and okay. global. Let's, and it's, it's an interesting vision. I just want to see if your opponents want to respond to it. Bitcoin has nothing to do with the size of the government. The government will still be able to tax people. It'll still be able to borrow. In fact, it'll be able to borrow more effectively because people won't be worried about inflation. They can spend as much as they want. Bitcoin's not going to do anything about that. Jillian? Yeah, and basically, if you're worried about the value of the U.S. dollar and what the Fed's doing, there's a much simpler alternative. Buy a little bit of real estate, buy some forests, buy a bit of gold, hedge your bets. It's 101 investment principles. Okay, another question? Sir. Jayesh Virkar, uh, Georgetown MBA. Uh, do you see the coexistence of Bitcoin and fiat currencies? Or do you see the complete replacements of one of the currencies? In other words, will the dollar disappear? Will the pound disappear and Bitcoin come supreme? Uh, Tim, do you want to take that? Yeah, it, it's never really one or the other. Usually, fiat currencies will try to adapt. Well, first, they're trying to create currencies that are just tied to their government. They miss the entire purpose. But they'll start thinking, hey, I want to create a global currency too. And those governments will probably survive. It's a better currency. It's just better. It's as the engineers work on it, make it so it's easier to transact business, to buy coffee, whatever. Decentralized, it is flexible. It's cross-border, it's global. It, it's sort of everything you guys want as millennials. You want a world that's open Jillian. and it's open. Bitcoin will be like traveler's checks, be like digital gold. It will be something you know, of interest, part of the financial universe, but a sideshow. And it's certainly not going to turn it into something that justifies the current bubble prices. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay. And now we move on to round three. Brief closing statements by each debater in turn, making his closing statement in support of the motion. Tim Draper, venture capitalist and founder of Draper Associates DFJ. A rocket will never be able to leave the Earth's atmosphere. New York Times, 1936. When the Paris Exhibition of 1878 closes, electric light will close with it and no more will be heard of it. Oxford professor Erasmus Wilson. 
It'll be gone by June. This is Variety magazine talking about rock and roll in 1955. The wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to no one in particular? That's the associates of David Sarnoff responding to the latter's call for investment in the radio in 1921. There's no reason for any individual to have a computer in his home. Ken Olson, president of Digital Equipment Corporation, which is now gone. Television won't last because people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. <laughs> 20th Century Fox, Daryl Zanuck in 1946. The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. Didn't I hear that? <laughs> the president of Michigan Savings Bank advising Henry Ford's lawyer. X-rays will prove to be a hoax. That was 1883. And then, this is the real killer, the head of the patent office in 1899, Charles Duell, said, anything that can be invented has been invented. You don't want to be one of those guys. Thank you, Tim Draper. The motion again, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay and here to make his closing statement against the motion, Eric Posner, law professor at the University of Chicago. So I hope you all saw how Tim changed the terms of the debate. He was talking about technologies rather than particular companies or particular instantiations of technology. So we're talking here about Bitcoin. We're not talking here about cryptocurrencies generally. But how about Bitcoin? What should we think of it? And it's helpful now to look at some uh, data here. The technical term here, by the way, the technical financial term is crappy, I believe. Okay, so the actual Bitcoin transaction, how long does it take? About 10 minutes. When there was high volume back uh, last fall, it would take days. A credit card takes five seconds. How many merchants accept Bitcoin? Well, Patrick accepts Bitcoin. According to Morgan Stanley, quote, Bitcoin acceptance is virtually zero and shrinking, as if that were possible. Top 500 online merchants, last year five, this year three. Why don't merchants accept Bitcoin? Because it fluctuates so much, right? So if you're selling a valuable asset like a car, Unless you can get it off your hands as quickly as possible, you'll lose a ton of money. What are Bitcoins good for? They're good for illegal transactions. As I mentioned before, a recent study says that 25% of Bitcoin users are associated with illegal activity. The upshot here is that Bitcoin's not really not that good. What it's good for is illegal activity. Governments are obviously going to crack down on it. They've begun. China, India, the EU, South Korea, the United States have all gone after Bitcoin. Therefore, Bitcoin is a bubble. Vote no on the motion. Thank you. Eric Posner. And the motion again is Bitcoin is more than a bubble and is here to stay. And here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Patrick Burns, CEO of Overstock.com. The great central banker of our time, Paul Volcker, said in the 2008 crisis, the last financial innovation that actually added any value to society was the ATM machine. All of these insanely complicated instruments, they've added nothing to society. They've added no value. Bitcoin does. The 19th century was a century of deflation and growth. Yes, there were financial crises. I believe the financial crises were brought about because of the legalization of fractional reserve banking and this way of letting our, our elites overstimulate the economy and then crash and get bailed out by the government. The 20th century was a period of inflation and crises. Inflation, so a dollar's worth about two cents of what it was 100 years ago. And we've had crises just as profound as the 19th century and one worse, the crash of 33, which was brought about by the central bankers. The real value that Bitcoin brings to society, I'm reminded of John Maynard Keynes, that in society there's a bezel. If you could freeze time and ask everyone what they thought they owned and then you could see what's there, there's a difference. And the difference is the amount that has been embezzled from society. There are different cheats built into the system. The institutions can't be trusted. That periodically bubbles to light. With a Bitcoin-based economy and a Bitcoin-based financial system where records are immutable, I think there's going to be less illegality. And by the way, the U.S. dollar is used by gun runners and dope runners and all that kind of stuff, too. It doesn't know what he's saying. we got to outlaw that. Bitcoin will reduce the bezel in our society. You're going to find, if nothing else, it has value because things will anchor to it. And it's here to stay, and we should be grateful for that. Thank you, Patrick Byrne. And our final speaker will be speaking against the motion, Jillian Tett, best-selling author and U.S. managing editor of the Financial Times. When Paul Volcker said that the ATM was an amazing innovation, he said it was an amazing innovation because you could go to that hole in the wall and pull out dollars. And on the dollar, there is a face and a promise by the government. 
And you might say, you know what, that promise has been severely compromised and undermined by what the government's done. But the question is really about relative faith. At least you can pick up a dollar and you can see a face and you know what stands behind it, which is the US government. If you take a Bitcoin, you're betting on computers. You're betting on the idea that somehow in this period of technological change, the first mover is going to always be there, unlike every single other period of technological change we've seen. Think of MySpace. But you're also betting on something else. Who created Bitcoin? Satoshi Nakamoto. Well, who is he, or she, or they? Could you put them onto a dollar bill? Would you rather bet on Volcker? Would you rather bet on something you can hold? Would you rather bet on the US government with all its flaws? Would you rather bet on the competition of governments? If you don't like the US government, go buy Swiss currency instead. Or would you rather find this Satoshi and bet on them? To me, it's about relative trust. Thank you, Gillian Tett. And that concludes round three of our Intelligence Squared debate. So we have the results. I'd like to share the results. And again, it's the difference between the first and the second votes that determines our winner. The motion, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay. Before the debate in polling, the live audience, 39% agreed with the motion. 38% were against and 23% were undecided. Those are the first results. Again, the difference. The team arguing for the motion, their first vote was 39%. Their second vote was 25%. They lost wow. 14 percentage points. Got the team against the motion, their first vote was 38%. Their second vote was 68%. They pulled up 30 percentage points. That means the team arguing against the motion, Bitcoin is more than a bubble and here to stay, declared our winner by our audience here today. For me, John Donman and Intelligence Squared US, thank you to the Adam Smith Society, thank you to all of you, and we'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared US debate was held in front of a live audience at the Adam Smith Society's annual meeting held in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman, Clea Cheng is our chief operating officer, Leah Mathau is vice president of programming, Shay O'Mara is manager of editorial operations, Aaron Dalton and Rob Christensen are the radio producers, Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer, and I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the IQ2 US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, Quantum, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Salendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rain, and Emily and Antoine Van Achtmel. From Intelligence Squared U.S. and me, John Donvan, thanks to all of you. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. Exploreminnesota.com slash live.